0: You're listening to the Writers Forum. This edition of the Writers Forum is brought to you by the law firm of Alker and Rather LLC. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Suzanne Burney about her new book, The Blue Window. Suzanne is the author of four previous novels and the winner of the Women's Prize for Fiction, formerly Great Britain's Orange Prize. Welcome to the show, Suzanne.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Well, you know, let's jump right in. In the story, a part of the basic outline of the story, Lorna is going to go see her estranged mother, who's apparently been injured in some fashion, to check on her. And she takes her not-too-cooperative son, Adam, with her. But Adam has, at the outset of the story, decided to do something that I thought was fascinating, and that is that he's going to eliminate the first person when he speaks. And at one point, he, I think he says something like, if I succeed at destroying myself, that'll equal freedom of the soul. Talk about where that idea came from, to give him that characteristic.
1: Well, Adam is home from college. Something happened in his last week of school, which he won't talk about and is trying not to think about, but feels ashamed of and dishonored by. And... The idea to have him stop using the first person and also to speak entirely in the passive voice was connected to an idea of how he might find a way back to some kind of sense of honor. I had thought a lot about patterning his character on the old, old story of the young knight who needs somehow to reclaim himself after having made some terrible mistake. And he's ashamed. He's alone in his feelings of shame. He can't talk to any of his friends. He feels that he's isolated. And he's come up with this idea of this kind of fierce self-effacement as his way back somehow to, um, to who he was before, I think, this thing happened to him at college. I, mm-hmm. It's it's very much caught up with being young and horrified at yourself.
0: Is he do you think Adam is conscious that that's what he's doing or is it just something he stumbled on?
1: I think he's conscious of wanting to disappear. Yes. And mm-hmm. I it's mm-hmm. a young guy in this world now where you can make a mistake and it's all over social media, and there's almost no getting away from yourself. and this is his way of getting away from himself by trying to erase I altogether and in a way not actually be there anymore.
0: yeah, it's very to, at least it struck me as being very Buddhist in a sense. Um, let me ask you a, an unfair question. I do this every so often, <laughs> somewhat, <Okay>. somewhat <laughs> philosophical. And I noticed, though, the way that you set this up, that he says that if he destroys his self, that that equals freedom of the soul. So uh, are you suggesting to us that the theological soul and the Freudian self are one in the same?
1: I think they're one in the same in being limiting. And I think he feels limited by his concept of self, and by what he imagines to be the world's concept of who he is, um, because what he did at school has exposed him to the censure of the world. And I think he's looking for, without actually understanding, um, he's looking for a new way of conceiving of himself. And so I, I, that may not be the quite what you were looking for as a philosophical answer to your philosophical question, But I think he really is engaged in attempting to find a new way of being in a very clumsy and actually um, pretty awful to his mother way. He hasn't thought it through. He's very difficult to be with. But his effort is, I think um, there's a certain amount of creativity in it, as negative as it is, that that I, I admired.
0: Yeah, it it was fascinating to me, and, you know, it's kind of a universal theme that I understood right away, uh, and and I think readers will as well. But let me ask you the next question, then. So Adam and and his mother go to visit uh, Adam's grandmother, and the interaction with his grandmother makes him start thinking a little bit differently. What is it about his grandmother that makes him open up?
1: His grandmother is even more hidden than he is. Um, she has sequestered herself away in this remote cottage on Lake Champlain and seems to exist entirely in the present. She won't ask, she won't answer any questions about the past. She doesn't seem to think about the future. And yet he knows that she has this interesting past, which to him seems like a heroic past. His mother told him that his grandmother was a member of the Dutch resistance in World War II and as a teenager helped to rescue some children and deliver messages uh, from the resistance to each other. And he doesn't understand why she won't talk about it, except he comes to believe that she went through something so terrible that she cannot talk about it, that she understands that nobody will really understand what she went through. Nobody who wasn't there will understand, and that there is no way to talk about the enormously difficult things in the world that isn't in a way to betray them. And I think he comes to admire her silence. He doesn't understand the true source of it, but what he believes he understands is this kind of heroism of silence about the things that are too enormous to talk about.
0: And and to me, at least, as I read it, and tell me if I'm reading too much into it, there are parallels between what Adam is trying to do and what his grandmother does and how they approach uh, themselves, if that's uh, the right way to say it.
1: Yes, they are both in hiding, and they both believe they understand why. I think one of the big differences between Adam's silence and Marika's silence is Adam is a, is quite an articulate person. And I think that Marika has spent so many years not thinking about what happened to her at a very young age that she's actually lost the language with which to think about it or, mm-hmm. or speak of it. Um, her daughter, uncomfortably for her, is a clinical social worker and would like to try to get her to talk and is again and again resisted by her every at every turn um, her mother refuses to speak to her and I think it's because she she actually can't yeah. I think on the other side of we hear lots of stories about trauma especially now and it's often about getting people to speak about trauma but I think there are people who cannot and they they just can't, and she's one of them.
0: Well, you know, I I want to talk to you more about trauma, but can I uh, get you to perhaps read a little section of the book so folks have a sense of your writing style?
1: Yes, this is a section um, where Lorna and Adam have left their home in Massachusetts, and they've driven up to Vermont to visit Marika to help her because she has apparently sprained her ankle, and this section is when they arrive. Okay. Marika lived on the northeastern shore of Lake Champlain, five miles from the Canadian border, six miles from the nearest town, on a tapering stretch of land called The Neck. Most cottages along The Neck were invisible from the road, announced by names painted on gray boards or canoe paddles nailed to tree trunks, Names that grew fewer as the pine, spruce, and oak trees grew denser. Lorna didn't recall this part of the lake as being so heavily forested or as feeling so remote and began to think they were lost. But just as she decided they should turn around, she spotted a boulder on the left side of the road painted in white flaking paint with the number she was searching for. At the end of a narrow, rutted driveway was a one-story, brown, shingled cottage with green trim, deeply shaded by trees. It was more or less the cottage she remembered from her visit years before. Though more weathered, the shingles speckled with lichen and the roof so thickly carpeted with dry pine needles that it looked almost thatched. They parked beside a pile of stacked wood and got out of the car. Except for the creak of branches and the intermittent calls of small birds from somewhere high above, it seemed extraordinarily quiet. The air was clear, and there was a feeling that comes sometimes with being on a northern lake that it looked the same as it had fifty, even a hundred years ago. Leaving Adam to give Freddie a walk, Lorna made her way to the back door. Through the baggy screen, the kitchen was dark and empty. Hello, she called. After knocking twice, she tried the door handle and found it unlocked. Hello, she repeated, stepping inside. Anybody home? It took a moment for her eyes to adjust to the dim kitchen, which smelled sharply of mildew. A linoleum counter materialized, knotty pine cabinets, dripping faucet. And then she made out a closed second door next to the refrigerator glowing around the edges and leading to the rest of the house. Hello? Lorna had a hand on the latch of that second door, already preparing herself for Marika's protest. Shouldn't have come all this way. A lot of fuss over nothing. And to say in return, oh no, it was no trouble. Glad to give you a hand. Glad to get Adam out of the house. But even as she lifted the latch, it was impossible to ignore that what she really wanted to do was turn around while there was still time and head back out to her car. (laughs) Hello, she called again, opening the door. A flood of late afternoon sunlight struck her full in the face, pouring through a picture window overlooking the lake, shining off the water and into the house, reflecting off the ceiling, walls, floorboards. All the windows were closed, and in that brilliant shut room, the mildew smell from the kitchen mingled with wood smoke and something faintly sulfurous. Lorna put a hand up to shield her eye. Only then could she see an armchair positioned to face the lake, and in it, a dark, motionless figure.
0: Wow. That's really good. Let's, let's jump to the trauma issue, though, okay? because um, the novel does a really great job of raising some of these psychological themes about trauma that relate to Adam, uh, his mother, Lorna, and Lorna's mother, Marika. Did you have to do any research on trauma, or is this uh, an area that you already knew something about?
1: I didn't actually do much research on trauma. I mean, I think, unfortunately, it's, it's all around us all the time now. I yeah. think, having gone through the pandemic... Trauma is a word that everybody is uncomfortably familiar with. Um, I will say, though, that my mother is a psychotherapist, so I did grow up um, (laughs) with with some understanding of, of the psychological definitions of the word trauma. What I was really interested in trying to do in this book is to focus less on the secrets that These characters were hiding and more on what hiding things does to people Mm. on the ways that it tends to distort and um, limit and and pervert the way people deal with each other and with with themselves. And that that was more my real focus.
0: Well, you know, the book is very thought-provoking, but let me ask you this question about trauma, since we have these three generations dealing with it. Do you believe that trauma passes on generationally?
1: Yes, I do. I understand that there's there's a whole study of epigenetics yeah. that has mm-hmm. a way that, that trauma can physiologically change people and be transmitted through generations, but I'm thinking more about the way beha- people behave mm-hmm. because... Of trauma and how that behavior is going to affect the way they parent and then the way that the their children go on to parent and I I think we have no idea in some cases what we've been shaped by yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. and trying to figure that out is one way of, of maybe not passing on um, some of the trauma that that previous generations have gone through.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating point. Lorna, in my mind, Lorna is kind of stuck in the middle here. She's trying, obviously, despite being conflicted, she's seeking something from her mother, but she's also seeking something from Adam. Talk about that a little bit. You know, is she seeking the same thing? Does she just want to be acknowledged?
1: I think Lorna wants to care for both of them. She wants to care about them. She wants to take care of them. She is a caretaker. It's one of the ways that she has managed to cope with some of the things that she's hiding about her own life. In fact, early on, Adam accuses her of being a social worker as a way to think about other people's problems and not have to think about her own. And it's very hard to take care of these two people because they will not speak to her. And in fact, they kind of join forces against her as she attempts to get them to open up during this time they all spend um, together in Vermont. I think she wants to make sure that Adam will be okay. She's very worried about him. He's clearly suffering. And she wants as a mother would want to to make sure he's going to be okay and and to help him, but he won't let her. And I think with Marika, she's still trying to understand the, the source of Marika's silence, why she left Lorna as a child, why she won't speak to her. Um, to have a parent who won't give you anything is going to haunt you for your whole life, no matter if you become a clinical social worker or anybody else. And um, she can't let it go. And And so she is stuck between these two people who who are taking a kind of weird, um, I, I can't say exactly pleasure in thwarting her, but but they're determined, not to open up no matter what, what she attempts to do um, to try to get them to.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, one of the secrets that's at the center of the book, <clears throat> and that's the fact that Marika kind of abandoned Lorna and her brother Wade, uh, as well as their father, and Lorna really doesn't know why. And this is one of those secrets that burrows beneath and tends to up ev- upend everything, even though people don't, even, don't know exactly how it affects them, right?
1: Yes. It's kind of a root secret. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we never find those kinds of secrets out. We know what the effect of them has been on us, but we don't know what they are. And sometimes in novels, the unveiling of that secret is the way that everything gets to be okay again. And I was very clear... To myself that I didn't want that structure for this book because I I don't think that always happens. I I don't think unveiling a secret makes it benign. I think it 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 always continues in in the repercussions it's had. Um, in this case, I wanted the reader to get to find out the secret, but not Lorna. Yeah, and it's. Quite a while for me to to figure out how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know,
0: I think the way you have handled it is much more realistic and and is a theme that people will understand. Uh, To go the other way it's too often kind of Pollyanna. Well, let me ask you this though. I'm still struck by the fact that despite all of this, Lorna feels some obligation towards her mother. Conflicted though it may be, she still feels like she has to help her in some way. Why?
1: I think she wants a mother. I think she'll, she'll do almost anything to have some connection. I, one of the most powerful sentences from a book that, that I've ever read was from E.M. Forster's um, Howard's End, where the phrase, only connect, comes up. Mm-hmm. And I think she will do almost anything to try to connect to people. And even, and she has trouble doing so, despite, again, being a social worker, she has trouble connecting, but that's what she wants. Yeah. And her mother, her relationship with her mother is the epitome of that difficulty and, and the amplification of that difficulty to connect. But I think the desire, no matter whether you succeed or not, is really important. And I think she she will do well in life as someone who tries to connect, much better than somebody who would try to who would decide to give up on it
0: and, d- and disconnect. Yeah, I, I had the impression that on some level she's looking for affirmation. She's still the small child looking to get affirmation from her mother on on some level. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's. Well, let me <clears throat> let me ask you this. I just found this a fascinating. I don't know if metaphor is the right word or whatever, but I want to go back to Marika for the moment. In the book, you have her knitting scarves, but when she finishes a scarf, she then unravels it and starts over. And it sounded a bit like Sisyphus and his rock to me. But but this is who she is, right? This is this is where she is in her life, right?
1: Yes, I think she's she's stuck. Yeah. She's not going to be going forward. She won't go back. She won't think about the past. And I don't think you can go forward without reckoning with the past in one way or another. And so she's stuck in a kind of eternal present. She talks mostly about the weather and about meals
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: occasionally about her digestive problems. And (laughs) that's about as much as she's She's
0: got the bandwidth for. Yeah, well, don't criticize her too much on digestive. You know, when uh, as we get older, <laughs> we all sit around and talk about our problems, <laughs> health problems. <laughs> Let me ask you this: most authors tell me this, and I'm curious if you've had the same experience in this book as well as your other writings, that if you create a good character, the character helps write the story. And then, if that's true, tell tell us which one of these characters in your book, The Blue Window was really the one leading the parade if you will and helping to write the book
1: it was adam
0: ah okay
1: it, it it was adam it was his his very immediate discomfort with himself it just what happened to him just happened it's all still right there he's aflame with his own misery and the other two characters have made accommodations for the things that are unhappy in their lives. It, they're still certainly present. They're still affecting them. But they have they figured out a way to go on. He hasn't yet. He is very much in a kind of crucible of himself, which makes sense. He's only 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it was his character that, that allowed... The story to really start to move. I was kind of stuck before, I came upon Adam. Ah,
0: okay. Well, let me ask you this: uh, in in putting yourself as a writer, in putting yourself in a character, Adam as an example, and then confronting the character's issues, do you learn anything about yourself?
1: I think you learn to pay close attention to the the different choices, decisions, ways of dealing with other people that that you gravitate toward. I think paying such close attention to how these characters interact mm-hmm. makes you have to pay attention to how you interact with people, too. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, listen, I'm going to end with this question, if I can. Um, you know, when I talk to writers, I'll ask them, why do you write? And some folks will say, you know, they write for themselves. Uh, others will say, you know, to make a political or a social point. And a couple will say they write for the money. Um, what, is, what is it that that makes you want to write, that makes you want to put these thoughts out there?
1: Well I think I began wanting to write because I loved reading so much and I wanted to, to do it too. I, I uh-huh. was so taken with the books that I loved that I I wanted to do that. But as I have practiced being a writer over the years, it is for the company. There is something absolutely wonderful about the company of a story as you're slowly bringing it into being and creating the place and the characters and their problems. There's something very meditative about the act of writing itself. A friend of mine calls it lowering yourself into the well, which I've always loved. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's that sense of company and also kind of sharpening of your awareness of the world while you're you're thinking about the world you're creating that I I find I couldn't really do without anymore.
0: Uh, that's a fascinating way to, to 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 describe it. Do you okay, I got one more, I'm sorry. Do you find yourself living with your characters while you're writing your book?
1: Yes. And <laughs> I have to say when I had when I have two daughters and when they were little it was a very crowded place in my brain, having these two little kids, having characters, having my husband and all my friends and everybody else in there. Um, it can be quite a crowd.
0: <laughs> well, listen, this has been wonderful, but unfortunately, it's all the time we have, folks. You've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been speaking with author Suzanne Bernie about her new novel that I encourage you to pick up, *The Blue Window*. Suzanne, is there a website or an other social media that folks can go to to learn more about the book, about you, and about your other writing? net. And that's B-E-R-N-E. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, Suzanne, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much. What a pleasure.
0: This edition of the Writer's Forum has been brought to you by the law firm of... Alker and Rather LLC Tune in next week Tuesday at 4pm or Wednesday morning at 5.30am to hear the next segment of the show